So I've been teaching my teenage daughter how to drive for the last year and a half or so. If you've never had the, the fun of doing that, teaching a teenager how to drive, let me just tell you that there is nothing that will get you closer to the Lord <laughs> than teaching a teenager how to drive. Like, I'm a, I'm a professional Christian, right? Like, this is what I do for a living. I've been to seminary. I've studied the scriptures. I have learned more about what it means to trust the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in the last year and a half of trying to teach my daughter how to drive than anything else I've ever experienced. You will know what it's like to live a life of faith when you find yourself in the passenger seat on I-10 with a 15-year-old behind the wheel whose biggest concern is how do we get to Starbucks? <laughs> when you teach someone how to drive, what, what, what hits you is that there's so much to teach. I mean, you have to teach them how to merge onto the expressway, how to, how to maintain speed, how to parallel park, how to go through a drive-through. But one of the biggest things you have to teach them is all the warning signs to be on the lookout for, all the, all the signs of impending trouble that your eyes need to be open to at all times. And there's dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of different signs to be looking for. Of course, there's all the signs and signals on your dashboard. You have to know what those mean. And then there's road signs that tell you that some trouble might be up ahead. But you also have to be able to like listen to the car. You have to be able to listen to yourself, like, how am I feeling? Am I paying attention? And then you also have to pay attention to like, all the subtle and not-so-subtle movements of all these other weirdos on the road who are trying to kill you. Like, there are a lot of things to try and pay attention to. And it hit me really quickly as I was teaching my daughter how to drive. Like, one of the keys to being a successful driver is just knowing as many of the warning signs as possible so you can spot them and you can say to yourself, there might be trouble coming, and you can adjust accordingly. Today we're starting a new series that is highly informed by my experience over the last year and a half. <laughs> this series is called Warning Signs, and, and what we're doing is taking some of that simple logic of how you navigate the road and applying it to our own lives, specifically our lives of faith. Because what the scriptures tell us over and over again is that it's really easy to like crash and burn as human beings. Like it is it is really easy for us to all of a sudden have our faith life be a mess or our most important relationships be strained or our finances be in turmoil or our health and our own personal well-being be absolute in disarray. It's easy for us to have our lives kind of explode and go off the rails. And, and what the scriptures tell us is that there are warning signs we can look at along the way. Like God is so gracious and so desirous of us to not like drive our lives into a ditch that he gives us warning signs, especially those people of faith who are part of his family. He gives us things that we can see that can tell us that trouble is coming so that we might live the kind of life that is as faithful and joyful as possible. And that's really the goal. Now, I'm not going to try and tell you that the point of the Christian existence, the human existence, is to, is to achieve total happiness or to be perfect. No, trouble's going to happen. Trouble is going to happen on the road of life. It's just inevitable. But insofar as it depends on us, our task as followers of Jesus is to try and live as faithful of an existence despite the troubles and as joyful of an existence despite all the issues as we can. And that's what this is about. What are the warning signs, the signs of trouble, so that I might be as faithful as possible? And insofar as it depends on me, I can avoid some self-imposed disaster. And so what we're going to look at over the next several weeks 
are a handful of warning signs that, not ones that I'm making up, but, but really that really come from the scriptures. We're going to spend some time in Ephesians chapter 5 and look at some of the signs that God in his, in his kindness gives to us. And the first warning sign is this, and this might sound like painfully obvious to you, but you would be surprised how many people overlook this. The first warning sign is not something on the dashboard, it's not something outside of the car, it's within yourself. The first warning sign is you, you falling asleep at the wheel. You've had one of those drives, right? Like, it's been way too long and it's way too dark, there's no lights on this country road, and you feel yourself nodding off, and you think, I gotta roll down a window, I gotta find a Bucky's, get a cup of coffee, I gotta crank up the music, I gotta call somebody, because if I don't, I'm gonna fall asleep. Well, the same thing happens just in our actual everyday lives. We fall asleep at the wheel. We fall asleep. And that's what Paul's talking about, essentially, in Ephesians chapter 5 when he quotes this ancient hymn and some words from Isaiah when he says this, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's he's trying to help the early Christians in the city of Ephesus understand that there was a kind of willing darkness you could choose to walk in. That now that you have faith in Christ, you don't have to walk in darkness. There's kind of a slumber that you can slip into that, that clouds your eyes to what's most important. You can, you can fall asleep, so to speak. And so Paul uses this ancient hymn and some words from Isaiah in this phrase to say to them, sometimes you might get drowsy as you follow Jesus. The darkness might slip over your eyes. And when you sense that happening, it's time for you to what? It's time for you to wake up. You have to rouse yourself to wakefulness because bad things can happen when you get too drowsy. And and if you're honest, you know this about your own life. I know this about my life. There's this kind of autopilot that can kick into life, this kind of floating and coasting through life. It's not that you're being reckless. It's just that you're, you're not being attentive to the things that matter most. It's a kind of lethargy or apathy that sets in towards the big things in life. Now, now, you might be asking, well, what's, what's so bad about that? Everybody needs a rest once in a while. Well, what's so bad about just checking out when it comes to my spirituality or even some of the most important relationships or my work life or my own well-being? Like, what's wrong with coasting for a while or getting a little drowsy? Well, here's the thing. Again, just to hit this driving metaphor a little too hard, the thing about being drowsy when you drive is that you end up drifting. And you don't drift anywhere good. When you drift while you drive, you you end up either lost or you end up in the ditch. Or worse, you end up dead. That's what happens. When people come to me and they say, Pastor, my my life is a mess, or this particular area of my life is, is all of a sudden in chaos. It's never actually all of a sudden. When I actually talk to them, or when I've experienced this in my own life, when I talk to them or I look at my own experiences, what I discover is that it's not as though there was one big decision that sent this area of your life into chaos. What happened is that there was a long season of drowsiness and sleepiness, of a lack of attention that led you to where you are. Here's how human beings work. By the time someone fails or struggles publicly in a really big way, 
What you can know for certain is that they have been failing and struggling privately in small ways for a really long time. Or by the time your spouse comes to you and says, I don't know that I want to do this anymore, it, it never happens overnight. When you actually step back and look at the relationship, there's been probably a long season of inattentiveness or unmet needs or unresolved issues. Or by the time somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, I, I don't know what I believe anymore. I don't know that, I don't know that I'm a, a person of faith anymore. That doesn't happen overnight. It comes after a long season of perhaps some, some silence in prayer or some, some lack of engagement at church or, or disconnecting from other people of faith. When your life blows up and you find yourself in like your own personal version of hell and you look over your shoulder, you will not see a cliff that you fell off of and now you're all of a sudden in a pit. When you look over your shoulder, what you'll see is this really long, gradual road where over the course of time, step by step, you have been led down, walked down to precisely where you are. The danger of drowsiness, of being a sleeper in your faith, is that you drift. And when you drift, you end up in places that you ultimately don't want to be. So then the question for us this morning is, well, well how do I know, Matt, if, if I'm just coasting through life? Well, I think you know. The second I start talking about this, I think something starts to stir in your heart. And you're like, oh, well, that's probably me. I've been totally on autopilot for a while. I've been pretending life's a Tesla and I'm checked out, hands off the wheel. That's probably me. But if you're not quite sure just yet, here's, here's a couple other things to look for. Again, all derived from our text. Here's how to know if you're, you're falling asleep and you're kind of dangerously drowsy in your human existence, right? Let, let's look now at verse 15. We looked at verse 14 where Paul said, arise, O sleeper. Verse 15, he says this. Look carefully, then, at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The key is the phrase, look carefully at how you're walking. So for Paul, to be wide awake in your life is to have your eyes on the choices that you're making on a daily basis and running them through a particular filter. For him, the filter is, is this wise? Is this wise? The choices that I'm making in my work life the choices I'm making or not making in my spiritual life or in my home life with my family or the way I'm spending my money or, or managing my personal time. Like, is this wise? Does this make the most sense given what I know to be the will and the character of God and, and the goals that I have and the responsibilities that I've been given? Is this wise? Another way to say it is if you're asleep, you have no map. You know, the map is the thing that guides your turn by turn. It shows you the wise path to take. And if you're asleep, you're, you're not referencing the map, so to speak, at all. You're not asking the wise questions. You're asking a totally different set of questions. When people are asleep, there's really only like one set of questions they ask. If they ask any questions reflectively at all about their life, it's this. What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? What do I want to experience? And, and those aren't bad questions but they're just not the best questions. It's not good for those to be the only questions that you ask. The question that someone asks when they're actually trying to follow a map and be engaged in their existence is not just what do I want, what, what do I want to do, but what should I do? That's a much better question. 
Not only are you asking that question, but if you're actually trying to follow a map, you realize that maps give you information from the outside in, and so you're actually inviting in the wisdom and insight of other people. But when you're just coasting through and you've got no map, you are pushing out some of the wise people in your life. Like, chances are you've got like one or two friends that you think are some of the wisest, most character-filled people that you know. Like, they might not be older than you, but you look at the way they live their life or their faith or whatever it is, and you think, I want to be like you when I grow up. Do you have people like that in your life? When you're engaged in your life and you're like following a map and you're asking questions like, what should I do? Those are the people that you say, hey, you tell me what should I do. And that's a smart thing to do. Or if you're married, that person's meant to be your spouse. Your spouse is the one who, as you, as you wrestle with your own well-being or opportunities at work or how you're spending your money or where you want your future to head, you're actually inviting your spouse in and saying, what should we do? What's best for us? But if you're coasting and you're going without a map, you are not asking should questions. And you're not inviting the wisdom of other people. You're only going with what's right here in your gut. And if that sounds familiar to you, if that sounds like a little bit of the life that you're living, that's a bit of a warning sign. You've shut out wise influence. You're not asking questions geared towards responsibility and faithfulness toward God. You're just floating, guided by nothing but this right here. The second way you can know if you're just kind of floating and maybe getting dangerously drowsy is that there is no urgency in your life. There's no urgency in your life. Here's what I mean by this. Again, let's look at Paul's text. We're going to move to verse 15 and 16 now. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Here's verse 16, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So Lisa and I, we, we like to go on long road trips with our family. Like we don't mind 10, 15 hours in the car as a family. We, we just don't. Uh, we, we like to go places, get in the car, and Lisa really likes it because it's, it's quality time that we just don't ever get with each other. Like we're in a confined space for a prolonged period of time. There's an opportunity for us to, you know, listen to a podcast together, have a conversation that we haven't had, and make some memories together. That's why Lisa likes it. I like it because it's an opportunity for me to set a new land speed record. <laughs> because my love language is efficiency. And so it's an opportunity for me to be the fastest person who's ever driven to Dallas, hands down. <laughs> and so like when, when, I, when we get in the car, we're going on a long road trip, like I'll be, I'll be about making it the shortest, you know, break at Bucky's it can possibly be. We need to keep going, press forward, let's get there, let's beat everybody else's record. And Lisa will look at me and be like, sweetheart, like we are not in a rush. And I'll be like, uh, I got a verse. The days are short and they are evil. Buckle in, let's go. <laughs> Boom, Bible, I win. Paul's making a point here that he makes over and over again in the New Testament. He likes to remind his hearers, he likes to remind us that life is short and the stakes are high. Life is short and the stakes are high. And, and he reminds us of that, not to like put pressure on us, life is short and the stakes are high, so that we live with this kind of panicked urgency, but, but he reminds us of this so that we might live with a sense of purposeful urgency. You don't know when your time is up. You don't know how much time you get here. Uh, not, not to be a downer, but last week I got word about a, a former parishioner of mine, a young girl, 25 years old. She passed away in her sleep last week. 
You don't know when your time is up. And even if you do get to live to like a ripe old age, when I talk to those who've been able to, to ripen, and I ask them about what it's like to have lived to be 96, what they say to me without fail is, it goes by so fast. Yeah. So what Paul is saying is, it goes by really, really fast. Also, the stakes are really high. What he, what he says is the days are evil. And what he means by that is there are all these forces of distraction in this world, some of them spiritual forces, that, that want you to live a life of very little consequence. If the devil can't drag you to hell, he will distract you all the way to heaven so that you make as little of an impact in this world as you possibly can. That's what Paul's saying when he says, look, the days are evil. If you just let the darkness fall in front of your eyes, you're going to live without a sense of gratitude for how good you've got it just to have breath in your lungs and to be alive because it goes by quick. And also, you're going to fill your days with a whole bunch of stuff that in the end, you're going to go, that probably didn't matter very much. The days are evil. It's going to be fighting for your attention. And so those who are drifting through life, not only do they not have a map, they're not thinking reflectively at all about their life, but there's no sense of urgency. There's no gratitude for the fact that this goes by quick, and it's such a gift. And there's no prioritization of their tasks based on this sense that I'm here for a purpose and I need to focus on the things that matter most. They just don't do it. And if that sounds like the life that you're living... No gratitude, no prioritization. That's a warning sign. You might be just drifting. Third thing that we get from the text is that if you're drifting, there's no sense of destination. Like if you're drowsy and falling asleep and you can't answer the question, hey, where are you going? That's a problem. As I was teaching Ava to drive, like we would get into the car, I'd get in the passenger seat, she'd get in the front seat and almost every time we, we, we got in the car, I would ask her the question, so where are we going? You're driving, you need to know. Where are we going? Now, I always knew where we were going. She only went places that I told her to go. <laughs> but my point was, like, I need you to be engaged in the process. Like, you are not passive when you're behind the wheel. You have to know where we are going, so where we're going. Now, the answer was always easy. She's only allowed to drive to three places. Even now, she has her license. She's a great driver. She's only allowed to go to church, to school, and to Chick-fil-A. That's it. <laughs> so it's easy for us to figure out. But the point is, you have to know where you're going. And, and that's what Paul says in the text, verse 17. He says this, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish. Understand, as you walk, engaged in your life, looking at all the potential warning signs, understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is our destination. The will of the Lord is our aim. The will of the Lord is our goal in life if you're here as a follower of Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, well, Matt, that doesn't, I mean, that kind of makes sense, but like, what exactly is the will of the Lord? Well, you have to understand that phrase in light of the rest of Paul's writings, like the first part of chapter 5, uh, the first chapter of Ephesians, and the whole New Testament. When Paul talks about the will of the Lord, what he's talking about is this, for you to know and love and grow into Jesus Christ. That's the will of the Lord. For people of faith, the, the destination of life is not a place. It's a person. 
It's not a place, it's a person. Now, you might be thinking, well, we have, what about like eternity? What about heaven? That's a place. Yes, you're exactly right. But that's not our job. The Father's job is to secure our place in eternity and get us there when Jesus comes back and he raises everybody from the dead. Like, you can't do that. God's going to do that. Not your job. Our job is not to worry about a destination. Our job is to focus on a person. That's our destination. To know him and to love him and to grow into him and to have his love flow through us. That's the goal. That's what we're supposed to be driving toward every day. Jesus famously said this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You know, some people wrongly think that Jesus is saying that we must watch how we walk so that we can get into eternity. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that the gate to heaven, to eternity, to God's family, to grace is so impossibly narrow that only one person can get through it. And that one person is Jesus Christ through his life and his death and his resurrection. He's the only one that can get through the narrow gate, who can walk the narrow road. But the good news is that all those who believe in him, who have trust in him, who are baptized into his name, he takes us down the road and through the gate with him. And what this means is that the point and purpose of our life is not how we're walking on the road. Should you try to walk in a way that you're not a jerk? Absolutely. But the point of your existence is not how you walk. It's who's walking for you down the road. Who's walked through the narrow gate for you. Who's climbed on the cross and died for you. Who's risen from your grave for you. Every day is about a focus on him growing deeper into what it means to be forgiven growing deeper into what it means to be eternal because of God's grace, growing deeper into knowing what it means to be loved no matter what, and then letting all that stuff like flow through you in the form of forgiveness and generosity and compassion to all these other people. That's what it's about. That's the destination. That's the goal. If you can't answer the question, where am I headed? Or better yet, to whom am I headed? And yet you're a follower of Jesus, that's a warning sign. You might be floating. Now, part of the really fantastic news with, with this understanding that Jesus is the destination, growing towards him as the goal, is that what it means is that in the life of faith, you can arrive at your destination each and every day. Because the goal of the journey every day is just to grow into and know him and Jesus has promised to be with you. In fact, he's like in the car, so to speak, next to you. Because you've been wandering and wondering and checked out of life, you might think that you're far from him, but the promise of Jesus is that he has never, ever been far from you. You just haven't been looking over to your right and seeing that he's along, he's in the ride along with you. Which is good news for those who feel like, man, Matt, you have been preaching to me. I am totally checked out. I'm disengaged from the things that matter. I haven't really cared about my spiritual life or my family life. And I'm just, I'm just drifting and drowsy and something bad is going to happen. If that's convicting to you, if that's hitting you in a soft and very real place, then the good news is that it doesn't take a whole lot to get on the right road, so to speak. 
Because the destination is Jesus and he's with you. All you have to do is cry out to him who you have ignored and say, I've been drifting. I haven't been grateful for the life that I live. I haven't been thinking about the things that matter most. I haven't cared. I've been reckless and wasting this one life that I get by just checking out and let the darkness fall over my eyes. Forgive me, help me, love me, lead me. That's what you say. And Jesus' response to you is, I love you, I forgive you, and I'm with you, and I am leading you. And when you say that to him, and he says that to you, which he promises to every time, you're not just back on the road, you've arrived at home. Because that's the whole goal, that's the point, that's the purpose, it's him, it's him, it's him. My one ask of you today is this, like, if this stirs something in you at all, my ask of you is that you would heed the warning signs and that you would understand that that thing you're feeling, where you feel a bit convicted of, yeah, I've been way too disengaged with life and that's probably going to lead to a bad place, that that thing you're feeling is not judgment. That thing you're feeling is not me wagging a finger at you. That thing you're feeling, that awareness, that a warning bell is now going off, that's a gift. That's grace. That's good. If God didn't love you, he would leave you alone. But he loves you so much, he put a little light on the dashboard and he's like, hey, 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 you're drifting. That's what today is. That's what today is. My dad taught me to drive in a 1984 Buick LeSabre. If you remember, like, 1980s Buick LeSabres, uh, they're the size of small countries. And, And this car was so big that as you pulled into your destination, the rear end was just leaving my driveway. That's how big this car was. And it was a 1984 Buick LeSabre. I was learning to drive in the late 90s. So it was an old car. It was an old car. And with relative... um, uh, relatively often, there would be a light on the dashboard that would pop up. And I remember one time, the check engine light came on. And my immediate response was one of fear, because I'm like 15 years old on a country road in the middle of Michigan, driving this tank, and the check engine light comes on, and my dad is with me in the passenger seat, and I immediately think, check engine light, we're going to die. <laughs> and and here's, here's what my dad said to me. He, he said to me, hey, the lights on the dashboard, they're not bad, they're good. It gives you a chance to figure out what's going on. You can pull to the side of the road. You can, you can give me a call. It, 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 it's a good thing. It's a gift. It's an opportunity to figure out what might be wrong with the car, some trouble you might have later. It's only a bad thing if when the light comes on, you do what your brothers do, and you just keep driving. <laughs> Heed the gift of a bright light. Heed the gift of a God who loves you enough to say, hey, if you keep doing what you're doing, there's trouble up ahead. And I love you too much to let that happen to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us to speak words of warning to us. We thank you that you you love us so much that you refuse to leave us alone. 
and, and I know that there are, there are some of us here this morning who, who, need, who need to be roused from their sleep, to use Paul's words, because we have been way too disengaged in far too important things. Uh, Father, for those of us who need to be awakened to greater engagement in our life of faith or in the life of our family or in our own health or our finances or our work or whatever, uh, Father, we, we pray that you would, you would give us a sense of urgency and purpose in those things and that we would, we would pursue Jesus in those things. We would, we would seek to know what it means to be a forgiven, beloved child of God in all these important areas of life. And we would seek your will and the wisdom of others in these things. Help us to do that. Help us to lift our eyes and put them on the road that you've called us to drive down. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.